It was November the 24th in 1983 when I felt my life ended. As I walked to the window to be alone, there was a monarch butterfly on the windowsill. The sleet was pelting the windows, and this monarch just seemed to walk towards me and then gently lifted its wings and flew off into the rain and the sleet. Who was that monarch butterfly? I believe that monarch butterfly was Vama's soul going to heaven. You are listening to Mental Gains, the podcast that highlights real people's mental health and recovery stories. I'm your host, Verna Mullins. And I am co-host Matt Russell. This episode, we are talking about complicated grief with Nancy Oberhaus. Complicated grief, it's a prolonged and extremely intense grief where there is constant mourning, making recovery and returning to life difficult. Post-COVID, we started a grief education and support group at the Connection Center to help the clients process loss. I facilitate that group and Nancy attends regularly. She shares her unique lived experience and wisdom with the group. She has had the most complicated grief experience that I have ever heard that nearly lasted 40 years. She is here to share a piece of her story with us. Nancy, we're really excited that you're here. Thank you. In your 71 years of life on this earth, what has been the most challenging thing that you've ever had to face? The death of Valma that I grieved for 40 years. And who is Velma to you? She was a physically handicapped person that I met as I was going to nursing school. I became her companion, her living companion, her caretaker, a friend. Tell us the whole story about how you met and how you came to live with her. To begin, I came from a very large family and I was going to nursing school and commuting. Since I found it very difficult to study at home, I needed a place to stay in Toledo. So I answered an ad in exchange for room and board, I would care for this uh, physically handicapped person. I met Velma and her sisters and instantly I fell in love with Velma. She was severely physically disabled. From childhood, she had rheumatoid arthritis. I had had two years of experience as I was an aide at the Luther Home of Mercy. Her sisters found me delightful and hired me on the spot. I agreed to move in that that Sunday afternoon. This country girl moved to a high-rise fourth floor apartment overlooking downtown. What an experience that was. Velma and I became close. At first, I was Miss Velma and Miss Nancy for several months. Whenever she needed something, I'd say, yes, Miss Velma. And she'd say, Miss Nancy, could you help me? I said, of course, Miss Velma. That lasted till about Christmas. We moved in in July. So till Christmas, we were very formal with each other. She began calling me Care Bear and had given me a little Care Bear for Christmas. I called her Honey Bear. We became very close friends. By Easter, my school year was starting to end, 
and once again she ran an ad looking for a person to stay with her. She was unsuccessful, and I agreed to stay on as long as I could work and still take care of her. We made arrangements about that, and I cared for Velma for 13 years, working as a nurse part-time and caring for her the other part-time. Living in the high-rise, I met Vel several of Velma's friends there, and we would have euchre parties, poker parties, um, scrabble parties, whatever, on my evening offs, and she taught me the gift of hospitality and entertaining. She loved to entertain, but of course she could not do the work. I would have to do it. And it was a pleasure just meeting with all these elderly friends of hers. I was in my 20s, and they were grandmothers to me. Over the years, several of them had passed, and I knew that the time was coming that Velma would someday pass, and the doctor told me that that day was gonna be coming soon since she had several heart conditions. I wasn't quite prepared for that day, but it came on a rainy, um, kind of sleety morning. She woke me around three in the morning with difficulty breathing, and I decided it was time to call the squad and go to the hospital. We went to um, Parkview Hospital at the time. She was very uneasy. She wanted to lay down in the stretcher. Then she wanted to sit up, and then she wanted to lay down. Then she wanted to sit up, and back and forth we went for several hours. Her sister got made it to the hospital in the sleep, and then finally her heart started to give out, and they rushed her up to ICU. I knew as minute the ICU doors closed and they called the code that it was for her. When the doctor came out and pronounced and told us that he was very sorry that she had died, um, I was standing at the window. There was a monarch butterfly on the windowsill. In the rain, the butterfly seemed to look at me and then flew away. Do you associate any time you see a monarch butterfly now with Velma? Yes, I believe that she comes to me. Just the other day I was outside and there's a monarch butterfly and he flew right to my face. Mm -hmm. I guess you want to say that you can be completely composed and then the moments come and the tears flow and then you get composed of yourself again and grief is like that. It's just a shallow... It never really goes away. It's just a shallow wave that comes and goes and comes and goes. And every day, every morning, it's a new day, and it's a new grief, and it's another grief day. And as night falls, you remember the good times, and you go on with life. Mm -hmm. You've had other people in your life die. Why do you think that Velma was the hardest and the most difficult? Velma had become a companion a very dear friend. I was her caregiver, but she was actually my caregiver, giving me the attention, the acceptance that I did not receive at home growing up. There was many a night that we laid in bed and I told her about Mike's childhood. And she said, it's all better now, you got me. I've lost my mother and dad since, and their grief was there, but not as deep as Velma's. 
Velma's grief lasted. It'll be 40 years this November, and I would say that up for up until about two years ago, for 38 years, I grieved hard, very hard. And then I began a grief group here at the Connection Center, which I attended and worked the pages of the booklet, and I became acceptance of her death. And that's, I think, the key to be to have acceptance of someone's death and know that they're in a better place. My faith has gotten stronger over the years. Of course, when it first happened, I was very angry at God. I didn't want anything to do with um, church. I couldn't believe that he would do something like this to us to separate us forever. And then I found little signs like coming home from the hospital one night somebody had put a, like a track on my windshield about do you know god i was walking and i found a track on the sidewalk and it says have you listened to god lately just little subtle hints and i finally found my way back to church in february of that following year and received counseling um, with a priest at the time for several years. Otherwise, I don't think I would have made it. He encouraged me to go back to school to get my RN degree, and I busied myself with that for several, for a couple years, and then I worked. And just, um, well, Velma died in 84, 83, excuse me. And it was till 91 before I finally had a very bad psychotic breakdown over the grief and seeked mental health services. Why do you think that Velma's death was so devastating to your life? Because of the love that she had given to me so freely. It was just a total lightning bolt to my chest that just broke my heart in a million pieces when she left and I lost my home because I had lived with her for 13 years and previously I had lived at home with my parents so now I was out looking for an apartment um, financially I had to go and seek uh, full-time work at the hospital socially I moved away from other friends in the building and I wouldn't have time to visit with them much because of working full time wow uh, it was just a big loss all the right. way around mm -hmm. it's like you lost your best friend your mother your spiritual guide your house and your job all in one go your, right your roommate yeah um, your family it was like a new family yes a lot to lose at one time did you did you think that your because you had said before that you had some trauma from when you were younger right um do you think that your pre-existing or your existing mental health conditions affected your response to this death i thought about that um it was more of the abandonment issue i felt she had abandoned me like I kept saying, why did you do this? How could you have done this to me? 
for a year and a half, I would drive out to Forest Cemetery and sit at the tomb of her tomb and throw stones at the head of their tomb. And then I would move to the head of the tomb and throw stones at her feet and say, if I could, I'd dig you up and just kill you and put you back in the ground. Why did you do this to me? Rain, snow, on my way to work, I would find myself sitting there. It's just, it was abandonment. And I have a trouble, you know, to this day I have an issue with abandonment. And um, I believe that came from childhood, losing my grandmother at a young age, uh, losing my grandfather at a young age, a very dear friend when I was only six. I can still remember her being there one minute and gone the next. So grief has a lot to do with abandonment issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had said that the grief had affected you spiritually, financially, and socially. Did it also affect you physically? Oh, yes. Um, Right after Vama died, I found myself in the hospital malnourished because I had no appetite. I wouldn't eat. Um, They intravenously fed me for about a week, and then I had to report to the doctor every other day. I got weighed every week. It um, It was a big issue with eating. Oh, my heart was broken. I went to the emergency room on several occasions with chest pain, had the workup and never found anything wrong. And I said, I'm just dying of a broken heart. So yes, it does affect you physically. Mm-hmm. You said that it took you 38 years right, to make peace with Velma's death. Can you tell us a little bit about what the key was um, that helped you finally uh, be able to accept it? Lots of prayers, a lot of talking. The more I talked about her, the easier it got. Uh, Working the grief program, and with God's help, I became to finally accept the fact that Someday I would see her again, and that brought much relief. And when you have faith, you know that you're going to see your loved one once again. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that moment, that like aha moment, where you, where you just felt like the first time a bit of relief that okay, I can let some of this go. Oh, yes. I was sitting at home one day, and I decided to take a drive. I was going down the expressway debating where I was going to go, who I was going to go visit, and what I was going to do. And I was feeling really low, and I knew that Velma loved me dearly. And there was a billboard, and I looked up at it, and it said, You matter. And at that moment, it was like her voice once again saying to me when I left for work, don't forget, honey, you matter to me, and you matter to those patients. Mm-hmm. So. Were, you, were you suicidal at that point when you saw that board? Yes, I was. Seeing that, seeing that bulletin board and it saying you matter, um, that prevented you from killing yourself? Oh, yes. 
gave me a new hope and it was I just realized at that point that there, that was a turning point that I really did matter that my life had meaning again I had been without purpose for so long and I've just seen that I knew I had matter I had retired previously to that but I still do a lot of good work um, just by listening to people and helping them. People sometimes just need reassurance, and I'm there for them, mm -hmm. and they're there for me. Mm -hmm. What were some of the triggers that you faced that caused you to suffer more? Specific dates, like birthdays, her birth date, um, the anniversary of her death. Easter was a real joyous time, and for years I couldn't feel the joy in Easter. And this past Easter, I finally felt the joy again. Uh, Christmas, just being with her family and her, she loved Christmas, and she was so excited no matter what. If you could give her two AA batteries for a transistor radio, she was tickled to death to get those batteries. Um, it wasn't the big things that she looked for in life. It was just the small little things, you know, just a trinket here or there or a coupon to go out to a meal. She was very shy before I met her. She only went to places with her family, to church and to a few bridal showers. And I had taken her to my family. I'd taken her to my friends. We had gone to the lake. She was just excited to ride in the car. She felt safe with me. How do you cope when the triggers come on? Well, I usually do something special for a lonely person that I find in my heart. And when I do that, I'm really doing it for Velma. It took a while to find a coping skill that I could use. I would hide in bed. I would call off work on those specific days. Sometimes I'd have to call off two days in a row because I couldn't get myself together. But one year, someone called me early in the morning, asked me to go someplace that day, and I said, oh, I really can't. They go, why can't you? And I said, because Velma's not here. They said, no, she's not, but I'm here, and I need you. And that was when I decided that on those days I would do something special. A lot of times um, people grow from difficult experiences and grief is commonly one of the most difficult things anybody faces. How have you grown from this experience? My faith has grown tremendously with Vama's death. She was very religious. We came from different backgrounds. She was Lutheran, I was Catholic. That didn't matter. The Bible laid on the table and we read from it every night. Um, I began reading the Bible. I began seeking uh, help through the priests that are at my parish. I grew deeper in faith and I grew deeper in compassion because I know now what it's like to lose someone. And when someone loses someone, they just need a listening ear. Maybe you can't do much except just to be there. Mm -hmm. I was reading up on grief, Nancy, mm -hmm. and I came across some things um, that I thought were maybe um, y unique to your situation. Um, what you've gone through 
was what they call complicated grief. Right. Okay, so it is grief that far surpasses the normal time limit and the, and the different criteria that is required for regular grief. They say that those people who are at risk for this kind of complicated grief um, are people who, um, who feel that they have not had enough support, um, who actively withdraw from the support that is offered. And maybe that was kind of an issue that you had maybe when you were younger. Definitely, when I was younger, it was like, you know, get yourself together, pull yourself together. Those with a particularly dependent relationship on the one who has died. Definitely. Those who have a tremendous sense of anger. Did you have that? Not anymore. I sure did at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I really did. Those who are depressed or who have never processed a past experience of loss, those people will experience complicated grief. I don't think I really processed my grandmother's death since I was 16 and a typical busy teenager and caring for my grandfather afterwards. Um, Graduating, going right into nursing school with Velma. Those years, mm -hmm. I know it, her. The sorrow from her death um, creeped up a couple times in in the uh, counseling that I had not dealt with that mm -hmm. properly. Few weeks ago, you wrote a story or like a uh, kind of a prose piece um, about your grandma, right? And and you had said that you would have never been able to do that um, prior to that point in your life, right? So um, that was like uh, for me um, going through this the journey with you doing the grief group. Over the past well, what year and a half? Yes. Um, to hear you say that, it it kind of um, it reiterated like why I do what I do, you know. Um, even though I was grieving at the same time about the death of my mom while we we're you know we we're doing the group, um, the fact that. Um, that after 38 years, you know, um, people can still heal. Were you aware that you were grieving Velma in such a complex and, and complicated sort of way? I knew it, but I really didn't share it with very many people. Not my family members didn't even know that I went to the cemetery every day. Mm -hmm. um, I held on to the nightgown that she wore for years. That Kleenex didn't do it. I carried a little towel, a little hand towel around with me to cry into because Kleenex and hankies just just did not do it. Didn't mm -hmm. do the job. And that little body of water that we have out there at the end of uh, Seaman Street and that. People call it Lake Erie. I call it Lake Nancy because those are my tears that I've shed over the last 40 years. 
Do you think your family would have been jealous if they knew how hard you, you grieved for Velma? I don't think they would have been jealous. They're just, my mom and dad were just a type that things happen, get over it, mm-hmm. move on with your life. I didn't see them grieve when their parents died. Here I was really shook about my grandmother and um, my mom just carried on life like nothing happened and it was her mother. I never really seen them, you know, grieve. Another thing, uh, those who are at risk for complicated grieving are those who have been taught not to show emotion or have trouble asking for help. And um, there's other factors that influence grief, and one important one is the relationship to the person who died. Um, And a lot of times the death of a parent, like parental figure, um, is one of the hardest ones um, by far, Um, or a child. So a parent having a child. And, um, and for you, it was, it was kind of, that was kind of a reverse double role that you guys both played for each other. Yes, you might say she was like my child. I sheltered her, protected her when we were out, and just made sure she had everything that she needed when we were out or at home. And I don't think anybody will ever understand the closeness that we had. It's a beautiful thing that you had for 13 years. They say that they say that you grieve as hard as you loved. So you must have loved her very, very much. I think I've told my story. And just the biggest thing I just want to let everyone to know is just to be compassionate with those grieving and if you're going through grieving now by yourself seek out help don't wait don't cover it up with school don't cover it up with work don't cover it up with possessions I find uh, true peace in nature just remember that some days will be better than other days, and eventually you'll be able to smile again. Grief never really leaves your heart. It's like a wave. Sometimes it's just a gentle, soft wave collapsing at your heart. Sometimes it's that giant wave that crashes and beats at you, but it really never leaves. I think like the monarch butterfly that flew that day. You just have to believe that your loved one is someplace in the sky waiting for you. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Grief is not something we can prepare for or even predict how we will react but there is help available. Both my parents have passed now. My father when I was 15 years old and my mother about a year and a half ago. The best advice I can give as someone who has experienced significant loss 
and someone who facilitates a grief group is not to isolate and retreat into your pain alone. You are not alone in grief. It is universal. I believe to heal, we need to experience our emotions. We need to talk about and process our feelings and tell our stories out loud and try to stay connected to our support systems. The things that have helped me and aid in the healing process are therapy sessions, joining a bereavement or grief support group, psychoeducation, self-care, spirituality or religion, gratitude and self-compassion. If your grief becomes extreme and you experience problems in multiple areas of your life for over a year, you should contact a mental health professional or your doctor. Thanks for listening to the Mental Gains Podcast. I am producer, host, and I also made all of the music in this episode. My name's Matt Russell. And I am Verna Mullins, the other co-host and producer. Executive producer for the Mental Gains Podcast is Chris Pfeiffer. Also, a big thank you to our guest today, Nancy Oberhaus. Feel free to reach out with questions or comments. You can find us at wgte.org slash mental gains and we'll see you guys next time thanks and we're glad you're alive wgte voices around us wgte is supported in part by american rescue plan act funds allocated by the city of toledo and the lucas county commissioners and administered by the arts commission